Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. We continue with our summer book club today, basically trying to give you a list of all of our favorite books to read in the hot months, and especially during this summer when you probably want to stay indoors with the air conditioning at this point. Uh, S.J. Bolton, one of the best mystery authors writing today. Her third novel is called Blood Harvest, and this is a book that is absolutely everything a summer book should be. It's a book that you can pick up and put down and will keep you captivated and interested. It's a book that keeps you on the edge of your seat. It's not dealing with worldwide war. <laughs> That's an important dimension for the summer book. S.J. Bolton, uh, also known as Sharon, joins our summer book club from Oxford in the UK. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you very much for having me. You know, I wanted to talk about this this book, um, which is, is set in a place that for an American audience is unfamiliar, except that we have this idea when you say something about Moors, whether it's in the Pennines or anywhere else, when you use the word Moor, for Americans, it calls up all kinds of images of fog and mystery and in a certain way, mysticism. Is that, was that intentional on your part? Absolutely. There is a reason why um, the Moors create that image in the American mind. It's absolutely what they're like. Um, they're, they're beautiful in their way, but they're barren, they're stark, the very few trees or flowers grow on. They're, they're a very atmospheric part of the English countryside, um, and they're a, a perfect place to set a mystery story. Well, you know, another thing about this mystery story is that you, in a certain way you've played into that, that mysticism of the Moors, so that, and also the, the, the age-old traditions that are kept alive in some of these smaller villages that to an outsider can sometimes seem odd when they see these, you know, these rituals and these holiday celebrations that are centuries old um, and, and seem I don't want to say threatening in some ways, but they can seem strange and make you kind of wonder what this village, what these village people are like when you see them wearing these strange headdresses and, you know, washing their hands in blood and all those things. You play well, into that. Ab- that's absolutely right. And um, one of the best examples I can give you is the, the custom that gives the book its title, The Blood Harvest. Um, up until very recently, this happened um, all throughout Britain in, in rural areas. Um, and very simply, it was when when autumn came around, um, the villages villagers would slaughter the animals that they didn't need the next springtime, um, and they preserve the meat to see them through the winter. Very, very sensible thing to do, but they called it the blood harvest. So every autumn they had the grain harvest when they harvested in the wheat and the corn, then they had the blood harvest when they slaughtered the animals. I mean, who would think of giving it such a spine-tingling name? As soon as I heard that, I, I knew I had to, to write a story about it. And, and, you know, also, I mean, there's been a lot of talk of comparing your book to a real-life crime drama, which was actually solved in the end, which is The Moor's Murders, which, I guess, captivated Britain at the time that they were happening. Very much so. And you're talking, going back 40 or 50 years now, um, before I was born, but um, a number of children were abducted and murdered and buried on the moors very close to where I lived and very close to where Blood Harvest is set. And the two people who were were found and sent to prison became known as the moors murderers. Um, I deliberately... 
stayed away from any sort of reference to those real life events in the story because even though it was decades ago feeling does run very very strong in the north of England um, and I thought it would be quite insensitive of me um, to, to mention those those real life events um, but there is something about the moors particularly the moors in the north that inspires a feeling almost of dread sometimes um, and can be used to very good effect in a mystery novel. Yeah I mean I think Sir Arthur Conan Doyle discovered that quite <laughs> some time ago. We speak with Sharon Bolton her new book is called Blood Harvest under the name of S.J. Bolton. I'm afraid if I ask any more questions on this line it's going to give things away so I, wa- I want to leave that for just a second and talk about the, the genre of the thriller um, or the mystery which in a lot of ways and I think unfairly means that your book will always appear on one shelf and then literature is labeled as all the books on another shelf. Why do you think we kind of separate our genres out this way? Um, I I don't really know, to be honest, but but there's this, this belief that we have two different sorts of books. We have literary fiction, we have genre fiction, and there's the, the underlying unspoken agreement that literary fact, fiction is so much better than genre. It isn't true. Within both those fields, there is a huge spectrum of work from the stuff that you know is just barely publishable to the truly excellent, brilliant novels that will be the classics of tomorrow. There are as many of those within genre fiction as there are within literary fiction. There are many crime novels and mystery novels that will become our classics. Um, So I don't really understand why we have to run down the genre novel, um, be ashamed of reading it. I'm certainly not ashamed of writing in the genre. I'm very proud of it. But do you ever, does it ever give you pause? Do you ever think, well, maybe I should, I mean, you're a great writer. Maybe, you know, maybe you should write a regular novel and, and then get your name on those literature shelves. I'm very, very happy and proud to be a crime writer, yes, to should. write in the mystery tradition, um, as are many other writers who are exceptionally talented authors. Um, no, I'm proud of my genre. I've got no, no intention of leaving it behind. But it does seem kind of odd that you find Edgar Allan Poe uh, on the serious, uh, serious literature shelf, you find, uh, you know, obviously Charles Dickens and... and um, but it- doesn't that just prove my point? Um, they are, they, they're writing mysteries, they're writing suspense novels that have become classics. All right, so let's talk a little bit about how you construct a thriller and, and whether or not, um, as you're going into it, when, when you're deciding what to give away and what not to give away, are those the same kind of decisions that you make when you're writing a, a non-thriller, a non-mystery? Because there's always a reveal in a novel. But do you have to time it differently when it's a mystery? I think uh, mystery novels and thrillers um, need much more planning at the outset because the plots are inevitably very complicated. You're setting up a mystery um, and you want to keep the solution to that mystery from the reader for as long as possible. If, if, the, if the reader guesses before the f- final few pages, you've failed. Um, so, but at the same time, what you can't do is present the reader with a rabbit out of the hat on the final page um, and, and to, to, to give a feeling of, oh, where did that come from? You have to to lay the clues along the way so that when you get to the end, the reader thinks, of course, I should have spotted it. Um, that takes a lot of planning, far more so than in a, a book that, that isn't a thriller. Um, so it's all about plot and it's all about planning and it's all about careful construction and weaving the clues in and out as you go along. Well, I got to say, Sharon, I did not guess where this novel was headed at the end. That came as a complete surprise to me, which for me means it was a great thriller. S.J. Bolton's new book is called Blood Harvest. Thank you so much for joining us. I loved the book. 
Great pleasure. Thank you. It was one of my picks for a fantastic summer read. Uh, and you can t- take a look at the other picks from The Takeaway on, on what you should be reading this summer at our website, thetakeaway.org. Click on blogs. But I just want to remind you, uh, you can find the picks from all of our summer book club authors, including S.J. Bolton, Taya Obrecht, and Beard. Many more. Head over to our website, www.thetakeaway.org, and see what the authors are reading this summer. And we want to know not only just what you're reading, but where you're reading it. Take a photo of a video of yourself reading uh, and send it to us. You can use our iPhone app, tweet it to us at The Takeaway, or post your pics at our Facebook page. You can see other people's photos at any of those places, and you can hit more from behind the stories that you heard or missed. Make your way over to thetakeaway.org. It's all there. I'm Celeste Headley. John Hawkenberry returns tomorrow. This is The Takeaway. The Takeaway.